Good afternoon. Let's try that one more time. Good afternoon. Now let's say it like you really mean it. Good afternoon. We're so glad to have you here at At the Table on this Sunday afternoon. It has been a beautiful weekend. Am I right about that? If you don't know, you better ask somebody. I called my friends up in the Bronx, in the Boogie Down Bronx, New York, and they would rather be in Carolina today. Amen? Um, I want to tell you that today is a special day. We are celebrating our table talk. We have a guest. We have a pair of guests with us. I'm going to talk about them a little later, but I'm excited that they are here, but it seems like that they brought an entourage. Amen. If there's anybody here who happens to know Jimmy and Amy Clemens, would you just clap your hands? I want to welcome all of our visitors here today. I'm Bruce Grady. I'm the Associate Pastor of Evangelism and Community Outreach. Our pastor, Betty Connett, is on our way to Nicaragua with a team that is uh, looking at the partners, the prospects for partnerships over in Nicaragua. So we're excited about what's going on there, but we're excited about having you here today. And we want you to know that any time that you're in the beautiful city of Raleigh, that our doors are open here at 5 o'clock. Um, I want to call your attention to some announcements. Oh, I forgot to mention, I didn't even know that the brother is an author among many, many things. Jimmy Clemens, we're so excited. He has a very recently published book entitled Hug Me So I'll Know, and you can purchase a copy for $18 after the service, but just a, a dynamic brother in Christ who has so many gifts, and he's sharing with us today, and one of them is that he is an author, so you get a chance to read some of his material. Wednesday Night Live. Wednesday Night Live is this Wednesday. The dinner begins at 5.45 p.m. The program is from 6.30 till 7.30. There's no cost for dinner. Please bring packets of dried milk and dried beans for the Urban Ministries food bag. Uh, we've been supporting Urban Ministries for quite a while now, and this is one of our ways of supporting. Join in the Fellowship Fund and Good Food. Sign up on the Friendship Sheet or contact the church office by 1 p.m. on Monday, tomorrow of the, uh, of the week in which the event is happening. Do we have our sheet going around? Okay, so if you're coming, you'll see the sheet going around. Everyone, we want you to sign in and get, share your email. But if you're coming, just write the number, say if there's four in your party, and circle it. And that way we'll have a count and be prepared to feed everybody. Last week, we threw down. What did we have last week? Amen? Chicken and rice. The week before that, we threw down, what did we have? Pork barbecue. And the week before that, we threw down, what did we have? The chili cook-off, right? The chili cook-off. And Ron won. Ron is the chili cook-off champion of 2017. You can get his autograph after service for $18. <laughs> this, 
This Wednesday, we will have spaghetti. How many of you like spaghetti? Lord knows I like spaghetti. We will have spaghetti and salad. Dr. Van Anthony Hall and moi will be present at a discussion, facilitating a discussion, performance on aesthetic languages of social justice in the sanctuary. I must give the credit to Van. Van has done an outstanding job in this area of research. And uh, some of you are probably wondering, what in the world is that? But uh, basically, Van has, through his teaching at A&T, North Carolina A&T State University, and through his research of issues of faith and social justice, written a piece that is really, really good. He's even weaved in our work from our partnership with Haiti, so you don't want to miss that. That's this Wednesday night. On Thursday, February 23rd, our very own Yvonne Brannon, the biblical the Biblical Justice Forum and Public Schools First are co-sponsoring the documentary Dem Democracy for Sale to be seen here at the church. Oh my goodness, Zach Galifianakis. Galifianakis, okay. The comic star of The Hangover movies travels back to his home state to investigate how North Carolina has become a bellwether for how the money of a few has come to dominate our democracy. If you want more information, please contact Sandy Irving. This is an excellent opportunity for us to talk about some of the political climate here in North Carolina and talk about some of the impact as it relates to biblical justice and the public schools. There will be the presentation and a, uh, a discussion forum to follow. Somebody say Jazz Vespers. Say it like this, Jazz Vespers. All right. WBPC is proud to announce during At the Table on next Sunday, we will be hosting Jazz Vespers. And you don't want to miss it. I'm telling you, this is an absolutely spiritually uplifting opportunity in which you get to fuse jazz with worship. And once again, um, Van Anthony, our maestro, is the one who is responsible for designing and coordinating that service. But who is our guest musician? Mr. Alexander. Mr. A and he's been here before. He is a bad somebody in the kingdom. So don't miss it. Potluck Sunday worship on March the 5th. At the table, we'll celebrate Holy Communion with a potluck dish. There'll be delicious food for the body and the soul. If you are able, please bring a covered dish to the service by 4.50 p.m. Invite your neighbors, friends, co-workers, classmates, frenemies to worship with Holy Communion, and a full meal. If you haven't had this before, we throw down. We have everything that you all like to cook. We, we sit down, we eat, we have a word from the Lord, and we also have Holy Communion. It's kind of like what it was done in the early church, where they went to the people's homes, 
and had a meal and, and broke bread and, had, and passed the cup. We use grape juice, but we'll do everything else that they did back then. Amen? On Sunday, March the 26th, there will be a combined worship service at the 10.30 a.m. hour. So it's going to be in the main sanctuary. Our guests will be the Shaw University Choir. So there will be one service. It will be at 10.30 in the morning. It's on March 26th. And there will be a guest choir, Shaw University Choir. We had them here over 10 years ago. They did a phenomenal job, and I expect nothing less this year. So please come out, invite your friends, and know that we'll have a blessed time. Bible study in March. There is one fantastic Bible study teacher that will be leading us through a series entitled, oh, it's me, leading us through a series entitled Disciple, Remember Who You Are. How many of you ever feel like, you know, I'm supposed to be a Christian, but I don't feel much like a Christian today? <laughs> Amen. Well, there are stories, there are situations in the Bible that speaks to what we just described. And we want you to have an opportunity to join us in this study. It's every Thursday night from 7 p.m. till 8 p.m. There is a curriculum. Now, you don't have to buy the curriculum, but it is helpful if you um, buy the curriculum. It is um, available to you through our church office. There are seven copies of the book that we're using. The book has 32 lessons. We're covering four lessons, and believe me, each night we will not be able to cover the entire lesson. It's just that good. Amen. So the book costs $40. I know that's a lot of money, but trust me, it is worth it. It is a great study. If you would like to prepare before the study starts, which is March 2nd, go ahead and begin doing the readings. I have the readings for each week um, here on the screen. It's also in the purple insert. If you get a purple insert, you can look up the readings and begin to read now because it's kind of a healthy portion of reading, all right? Biblical justice for 2017. We got a theme going here. The Bible, justice, I think that's a good thing. Our class will begin the study of Waking Up White, Waking Up White by Debbie Irving. This book was recommended by the Presbyterian Church USA moderators to help deal with racism. As a supplement, Leon's story, a biography by Leon Walter Tillage, will be used. We encourage you to bring reading stories on racism, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, etc., to share. Hope to see you Sunday afternoons in the church library at 3.30 p.m. Now, let me put a sort of parenthetical statement, because you all are probably thinking, why in the world they're dealing with racism? Jesus. Well, you know Jesus dealt with racism. Amen? The story about the Samaritan woman was a story about racism, because Jews did not like Samarians. As a matter of fact, they thought they were dogs. Goyim, Greek word. 
Um, also, you know, if you study the stories of Paul, when he, I guess it was in Galatians, he got before um, Peter. Peter basically um, had been telling the Gentiles who were becoming Christians that they needed to become Jewish before they could become Christian. Amen? How many Bible scholars do we have in here? Not many, a few. Well, basically, um, Paul had to deal with the same thing. You know, when he was telling, he was basically saying, you know, Peter, that ain't right. That's not right. That's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. The gospel of Jesus Christ tears down all these walls that have divided us. Amen. And helps us to understand that we are brothers and sisters and we are equal. So that old stuff we got to work on. And we've got to do away with the old, and we got to walk in this new understanding, which is, you know, characterized by the love of Jesus. Amen? So it's, it's, it's a tough conversation, but it's one that we have to have. So if you're interested, please come out. Um, I think those are all of our announcements, but I just want to say once again that we are excited. I am excited because I've been praying for quite a while for the Table Talk series, and this is what the Lord placed on my heart. And up until this point, and I correct me if I'm wrong, all of our Table Talk uh, facilitators have been people who are already members of Western Boulevard Presbyterian Church. So, Jimmy, you don't know this, but you're the first outsider to come in and share your story. So normally we have a children's message. We will not have a children's message because the children's message and the main message is in the word that Jimmy is going to bring forward. But let me tell you this. As he's coming forward, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. We are highlighting this story because it's our prayer and hope that as you hear this story, that you'll be encouraged, that you'll be inspired, and that you'll be committed to the faith journey and the story that God has given you. Amen? So without further ado, I want you to stretch your hands over here towards my brother in the red shirt and say, God bless Come on, y'all say it like you mean it. God bless Brother Jimmy in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all give him a hand. Can I stand up there? Stand there. Did I? Okay. Okay. Uh, so first of all, thank you all for coming. It means if I get too loud, just turn me down. Uh, thank you all for coming. It means so much to me. Um, I'm on a pace back and forth, so don't, if you get dizzy, just let me know and I'll stand still. Um, okay. Um, so, again, I thank you so much. Um, the, the, this, I didn't create this entourage. I'm glad they're here, but I didn't create it. But I'm glad they're here. They are old friends that I have not seen in many years that I love dearly. Um, we're going to open up with prayer and the scripture. Do you want me to read the scripture? Okay. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, 
for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not to harm you. Sometimes we think when God allows us to go through our trials, he's mad at us and he's punishing us. But how are we ever capable of having an understanding of what God can do if he doesn't allow us to go through every now and then? So we go through our trials, it's not so that he can harm us. Uh, to give you a future with hope. Um, so I'd like to open up with a word of prayer, please. Dear God, we just, we want to begin by asking for forgiveness of our sins, Lord. We, we're all sinners in this room. Um, we all are in need of forgiveness. So I stand in the gap for all of these dear people that I love so very much to ask you to forgive us for our sins, Lord. We thank you most of all, God, for your son, Jesus. Uh, we thank you for the death on the cross. Um, we have a, an eternal home ahead of us. So let us not get fixated on the things on this earth. Um, God, remind us to, um, that we're held accountable to love people, not um, watch and pay attention to color. Remind us to love our babies and our spouses. Teach us to forgive them. God, we thank you for the privilege and the honor to physically move our bodies. There's nothing little about it. It is just a privilege to physically move. There are no wheelchairs in this room, and we're so grateful, God. We thank you for this day of life that none of us deserve. We thank you for the grace and mercy that you extend to us. Um, and if you never, ever do another thing for us, you've done enough. The cross is just the greatest love we'll ever know. Uh, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, Bruce, for the opportunity to be here. Um, I've been very, very excited about being here. Just want to acknowledge my wife, Amy. It's, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. She's been, been with me all this long, and she's still fine. <laughs> she's still got it going on after all these years of being married to me. So um, anyway, so I wanted to come here today, and I didn't necessarily want to come and just talk about the ebbs and flows and the, the, the pitfalls of my life, um, because I think too much focus on that can kind of eliminate uh, the better part of it, which is that God got me through it. Um, so I grew up in Cary, which is rare. So I tell some people that, and they just about faint. They're just like, what? Uh, there are some of us still around. So I grew up in Cary. Um, I have two sisters, um, and we have a five-year-old son. His name is Cassidy. Um, I grew up in a house with my mother, my grandmother, my two sisters. Um, and eventually, my mother moved on to live with her boyfriend. And in this situation, there was extreme violence, extreme violence. So first of all, one thing I will say to, to you about this, never believe in statistics, because statistically, I should be beating my wife, because that's all I saw my mother take was beating day after day after day. It was sometimes to the extreme where um, she would be laying on her back with a gun in her face. And, you, you know, as a 12-year-old boy, so I have two sisters, one pulling this arm, one pulling this arm, and they're telling me to stop it. I'm a child, so what, what can I do? So you grow up around all of this violence. Now, my friend Jerry back here lived across the street, and he didn't know this until many years later. Um, but that, you know, God said he will always make a way of escape. That house, that home was my way of escape. It was my way of escape. And I told his mother this 
Um, the last time I saw her here in North Carolina, she was in Florida. She came to visit a couple of years ago, and I just had to get down to Washington to sit down in front of her uh, to explain her how God used her to help me get through such a tough time. I had no idea. Seeing me in the house was just normal. And when I, if, if a couple of days went by and I was not there, she's just like, well, where's Jimmy? That's what they would ask. But I had to sit her down and tell her, you know, God made you my way of escape. I needed to get away from it. You know, I would go to school. I would go there, and I was always the happy guy, but I was hurting. I was dealing with a lot of stuff. And it's amazing how you can become numb to certain things to where you can almost get to a place to where you can, you can camouflage your way through life to where you can hide your pain and you can hide it deep and people not know it. That's something you never want to get good at is good. You never, ever want to get good at hiding your pain. You know, something that I learned, I learned a lot of lessons from all of that. And one thing that I learned is there is no greater pain in the world than the pain that a parent can inflict on a child because that stuff is with you. It's with you for life. You know, my mom was there, and I could not understand why she would keep us in that situation. I just couldn't understand it. You know, aside from the violence, there were lots of drugs around and all kinds of things. There's lots of violence. And I couldn't understand why she would keep us around it. And I was very angry with her for a very long time. I was very, very angry with her. Um, eventually, later on down the road, she finally got away, and we got in a place, and we were able to kind of have a normal life. But I was still an angry little boy. I was just angry all the time. My sisters were angry. So I, did, I just hated going home. And some of you guys in here know I probably spent a lot of time at your houses. Now you understand why. I was always there. I was just trying to get away. So uh, time went on. And, you know, we're all a product of our environment. But thank God that we don't have to stay that way. You know, I grew up around all the drugs and all the things and eventually began to do drugs myself. And it was casual and recreational. And time went on. And then instead of going to uh, a friend's house to escape, I decided, you know, the drug became my escape. And it just got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And eventually I became an addict and I ended up homeless, literally living on the streets. And, um, you know, it's funny. God has his way of showing you who's with you and who's for you. All people that would stay at the apartment I lived in at the time, they would get high with me. But then when all of a sudden I was addicted, they were gone. You know, the habit got so bad that I sold everything in my apartment. And it even came down to me selling my clothes. I sold everything. So out of all of the friends that were around, there was one guy that took time who loves me. I wish he was here. Um, he took time to pull me to the side, and he looked at me, and I'd never seen this guy emotional before, but he looked at me, and he said, you have got to get you some help. We have to get you help, and I knew it was sincere, and I knew it was genuine, but here's the thing about an addict. If you have an addict in your family, please listen to these words. It is a demon that cannot be described, and you can't understand it unless you have to fight it. It is absolutely you know, people say, oh, they have their demons. That's what it feels like. An addiction is just, if you've never been an addict, be careful about how you deal with addicts. And the one thing that I will say is never give up on them. Never give, don't enable them, but do not give up on them. So this friend who I love and most of you know, um, you know, and, and this, this is probably was, was my rock bottom. So... How do I repay this wonderful person? So I go to his house at night, 
and I can look through the window and I can see him sitting in his living room. And I'm standing here and I'm looking at him and I'm here, I'm here at his car and I just began to take all of his stereo equipment out and just start to take it out. And I just took it out, took it to my dealer, traded it in for drugs and I got high. See, when you get to the point to where you're willing to do something like that to someone you love, you have hit a rock bottom. And I remember that day, matter of fact, I was walking down Chatham Street, it was about three o'clock in the morning, no place to sleep. And I said, these three, two, these, three, these two things, I'm an addict, I'm always, three things, I'm always gonna be an addict and I'm gonna die one. And I just don't care anymore. And I had given up. I had absolutely given up. You know, I, I love Jeremiah 29, that scripture, because I had no idea in the midst of all of that turmoil, God had plans for me. He had plans for me. If you would have told me when I was walking those streets homeless that I would be standing up here doing this, married with a beautiful wife and a, a, a great son and an author and all these things, I would have asked you who's giving you your drugs. I, I would have wondered, like, where are you getting your drugs from? Because that's crazy. I never saw it, but God saw that. He saw. He had plans for me. And, you know, I, I, I had completely given up. And I thought life was over. And the scariest thing in the world is a person that feels like they have nothing to lose. So at that point, I was just robbing and stealing everywhere. And um, I didn't feel bad about it. I never felt bad about it. But then there was this one girl, my, my younger sister, her best friend. I would see her every now and then. And she would say, oh, how are you doing? She knew that I was messed up. And she, oh, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. And we just talked. And she'd eventually go, guess what Jesus did for me yesterday? And it's, it's so crazy because I was in a place where that was the last thing I wanted to hear about, but it was something about her stories that I just loved. I would sit and listen to her and talk, hear her talk about what Jesus was doing for her, and that was like my hope and my bright spot when I would see her. I see her every now and then. Um, and then one day I saw her car, and I looked in the car, and I looked in the ashtray, and there was a $100 bill. Without hesitation, I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, it was less than 30 minutes later. That $100 was gone to my drug dealer, and I was high, and that was it. It was done. And I remember coming down US-1, and I, I guess this is where God allowed me, which he allows all of us when we hit that real rock bottom. He allows us to have a moment of clarity to see life like we've never seen it before. I said to myself, I can't do this anymore. I have too much to offer the world. And then I went, wait, what? Because I, I couldn't understand. What do I have to offer? I'm a homeless addict. What do I have? And it was, the car was moving, but it seemed like everything just kind of stood still and I could see all the traffic, but it's like I was standing still. And just as clear as you can hear my voice, I heard a voice say, if you do not take my hand now, you will not live to see 1996. I heard it as clear as day, and I said, that's it. I went to this friend. I sat down. I knew she was a believer. I sat down. I explained it to her, and she said, you know, this doesn't surprise me. She said, because I kept praying for you, and I told God, I, won't, I need to separate myself from him because it, he's just got so much going on with him. It just makes me spiritually uncomfortable. But he told me to stay because you were coming home, and here you are. 
So I prayed with her, prayed the plan of salvation, and accepted Jesus, and I was instantly set free, and I never touched drugs again from that day. That was 1995. Never even had a craving again after that. And that changed my life. Everything completely changed. Now, I had a whole lot of things to go back and fix in my life, and the friend that I stole from, that ate at me all the time. So I took him out to dinner one night, and those of you that know him, you'll get this. So I said, I want to take you out. So we went to Golden Corral because I know he loves that place. And we sat down, and I'm, I'm literally shaking at the table. And I said, um, I said, Fats, I need to tell you something. I said, now, if you never, ever want to speak to me again, I, I get it. But I have, to, I have to be honest with you. And I told him what I did. He goes, oh, I knew it was you. I said, what? He said, I knew you took my stereo. And I said, well, why didn't you say anything? Why haven't you done anything? He said, because it was more important for us to save your life than for me to get my stereo back. That's love. And if you know him, that doesn't surprise you at all. He's just, he's just one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met in my life. And I wish he was here to hear that. But I love him, and I love life. And, you know, God is funny because... I remember playing on Chatham Street as a child. My Uncle Willie would walk me to Ashworth to get food. And I remember walking on Chatham Street, going to an arcade. And I remember walking that street as a homeless drug addict. And last November, I went back and I led 250 people down the same street for the first annual Carry Unit Walk and Run Festival, a vision that God gave me a year before. And it was nothing short of a miracle. And I couldn't believe it was happening. But when Ferguson happened, the first thought I had was my son's future is in jeopardy. Somebody's trying to take my son's future away, and that's not going to happen. So I partnered up with the right person. Thank you, God, for Elisa. Partnered up with the Cary Police Department, and we got to work 15 long months. A lot of police shooting in the process, but um, and a crazy election looming four days before our event. And my wife and I went out there the night before. And we poured anointed oil all over that field. We prayed. We said, nobody's going to die here tomorrow. And it was an absolute success. The town of Cary, they're crazy about it. So we had our first meeting this past Thursday to gear up for another one this year. But the addiction is real. It's very, very real. Please extend grace and mercy to anybody that you know that is struggling with an addiction. You have, even if you don't understand it, you have to extend grace and mercy. You have to. Nobody wants to live that way. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an athlete. I didn't want to grow up to be homeless on the streets. I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be an addict. So just be patient with them, pray for them, extend them grace. And I will say to you, if there's anything in your life, as far as your parents, what they may have done, what they have not done, I encourage you to please, if you have the chance, go see them, sit down in front of them, and no matter what they have done to you, ask them to forgive you. Now, you may say, but I haven't done anything. Yeah, but you know what? If you've harbored things in your heart towards them all these years, you have to ask for forgiveness for that. See, forgiveness is about them, but it's for you. Because sometimes people hurt, hurt people, sometimes will hurt other people. So a lot of times, generational things can go on, and parents can give or not give 
But that stuff lingers and it hurts. And I just encourage you all to make it right. I sat down with my mother, one of the scariest conversations I had, I, I had ever had. And I sat down and I told her all that I experienced and how much it hurt me and how angry I was and how mad I was. And her first response was, why didn't you come to me sooner so we could fix this? How long have you been carrying this? So we had a long talk. That was eight, nine years ago. We fixed it. And now we're like this. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave me time to repair that before she died. And she was able to walk in the unity walk. And God, God is a redeemer. Everything that you think you lost, God can redeem back to you tenfold. I'm serious. He'll give it all back to you. It can all be restored. It's never too late. If he can save me, he can save anybody. I mean, truly, he can save anybody. So I just encourage you, lean on the Lord. Um, I don't have anything to offer. He is it for me. You know, some days I'm not a good husband. Some days I'm not a good dad. Some days I'm not a good person. Some days I just don't want to be obedient to Jesus. I just don't want to. That's just being honest. But I understand that he is my savior. And in spite of how I feel, I can't base my decision on my emotion. I base it on my faith. So I keep rolling. Do my best. So to God be the glory, I'm still here. That's it. At this time, we want to give opportunity for you about five, maybe five to seven minutes to ask questions. And Jimmy, you can respond as you feel. Sure. Well, well, what we're trying to do is, well, see, the first one we planned, uh, Town of Care was kind of like, well, yeah, we support you, but they were off in the distance saying it. Because it was a tough time with all the shootings. And then our event was falling four days after we got a new president. So they kind of didn't know which way it was going to go. But it was a huge success. And now they're all in. So I don't think anybody, they will let anybody have it. I, I don't know. Oh, yes, yes. I'm, I'm hoping to spread it. What we're hoping for is to have the very first, um, the world's longest unity chain this year in the World Guinness Book of Records, and hoping that will be a snowball effect to where cities and towns will, will want to break that record, because in order to do it, people have to come together. So, yes, we're working on it. I like the way you think. I do. Anybody else? Yes, Fran. <laughs> okay. Yes. And having that discussion, yep. I learned a long time ago that it's simple, but like it's not getting along with it, mm -hmm. but there are many people that know why, but the minute that I approach folks and said, I don't know what I did, I don't know what you did, mm -hmm. I don't know why we don't get along, that is true, and after that happens, you open up something from what could be later. Right. So just a confronting, I don't know. Yeah. I yeah, and, and, the, and the thing about it is, and, and you know what, here's the thing about it. Um, how you enter is going to so if there's someone that you, a parent, especially, it's so tough with parents because I've, I mean, you know, I've had discussion with people and they've gone to their parents and they said, you know, I want you to forgive me for all I've harbored in my heart towards you, but I would like to tell you what you did to hurt me. And they went through 30 minutes of just not yelling and screaming, just being honest. And the parent just looked at them and said, you're overreacting as always. But 
The person walked away and said, you know what? I'm free. I did my part, and I'm free. So, uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, neither do any of us, but Jesus did it anyway. I'm glad he doesn't treat us the way we treat him. His grace and mercy. Listen, if you don't feel like you deserve to be loved by God, you are one of those people that are trying to understand grace and mercy. It is beyond human understanding, the love of Christ. It is beyond human understanding. Let it go. You can't figure it out. It is the greatest love we'll ever experience. Man can't do it. That's why God puts instructions on how to do it in the Bible, because we cannot do it. Anybody else? Yes. I knew you I knew you had one. I wanted to know what kind of conversation occurred when you spoke to, for instance, the Terry police or other leaders in the town Terry. Not that I'm focusing on Terry, but I'm focusing on the issue of how what kind of conversations go on to bring people together uh, beyond just coming together and having an event because as I know that um, as soon as I thought my son's future was in jeopardy, because more than likely he's our only child. Anyway, so, um, yeah. You know, I, I, was, I was like, diversity made me who I am. I mean, I look around at some of these faces. These people have been with me for many, many, many years. They have loved me. Their parents have loved me. They've accepted me. They would do anything for me, and I know it. Diversity made me who I am. So to think that somebody would take that away from my son bothered me. So I got in my car. I drove to the Cary Police Department, and I talked to a sergeant, Jeremy Bergen, who was one of the most just amazing human beings. And I said, okay, so um, do you think we can have a Ferguson situation here? And he said these words, if we don't do something now, we're going to. See, the citizens of Cary think Cary is the Garden of Eden, but the police don't. You know, it's not this candy land, but people are just convinced with their little neighborhoods and their manicured lawns. So I asked him that. He said, if we don't do something, um, we're going to. It's only a matter of time. All it takes is one misunderstanding. So I said, I have an idea. Uh, I think we should bring a bunch of people together and have some kind of a march, but something geared towards positive. He goes, go back, figure out what it means, what it looks like, and then come back to me. So I go home, and I began to, my wife and I began to pray, and then one day, you know, God, was, God said, my love is radical. Go out there and show people how radical it is. So I sat on the corner of Chatham and Academy Street in June in a chair for four days with no food just to bring awareness to it, and that pretty much sparked everything because there were people around the clock stopping on the corner to have conversations that they are otherwise afraid to have with people. There was nothing threatening about me sitting in that chair. I don't know why, but they just didn't feel threatened. They showed up, but God was in it, and that's what happens. So after that, they began to talk to people and talk to other people, and the people from the town of Cary saw me down there, and they began to come down, and it just, God just made it happen. Yeah, he just made it happen. So love is radical. Yeah, so. What a powerful story. What a powerful story. Um, and, I, you know, Jimmy, I'm thankful for how you shared the sh story, but also thankful for you, Amy, and um, 
the critical role that you've played in this story. Um, God can use anybody. God can use you and um, use you and me in ways to, to make this world a better place and to also make his son known. Amen.